happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <sighs> okay, you've got to stop making that noise because i got to cut every single thing that you say if you... Well, I thought we were done. I didn't even know you were still recording. Can we stop? Mogab, we are never done until I get the intro, okay? You might say something, and that's intro material, and I have freaking already cut it and now you're talking intro material digging around in your cracker box (laughs) your cracker box (laughs) i can't wait that's one of my favorite parts is like starting and not knowing what the intro is going to be welcome to another episode of true crime creepers where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists i'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Reporting live from the Lone Star State. Oh my god, so excited you're here. It feels so good to be back together. I know! Reunited. (laughs) Your face! (laughs) We're reunited! This is the first episode of Creepers when we are recording in the same state. Our first recording together again. And our our last. But not our last. Oh. Oh, awkward. (laughs) I was going to say, but not our last. Uh, Well, hopefully not our last. Basically. The only reason we're not recording together is because I couldn't figure out how to do it. (laughs) All right. I'm so excited about this story. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Today, I'm telling you the story of the Goose Green stabbing. And this is such a wild ride. I literally can't say more than that without giving it all away. So Wait, did you say Goose Creek? Goose Green. Oh, I was like, man, we're doing the tour of... Greater Houston over here. (laughs) No, this is actually in jolly old England. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) 
You're going to want that accent back. <laughs> me, me and Stephanie used to have, we used to put on terrible British accents when we would go to bars and college. When you'd go out, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we would keep yeah. it on. And she would always have, she always had this gigantic purse and she would just tell everybody that it was her carry on because she had a flight later. <laughs> Oh my god! I know. I kind of love that. I know. I love was this it. when you guys were at Sherlock's? No, this is when we were at Blind Pig on Sixth Street. Oh, oh boy. those were the days. So I found this case while I was going down this major Reddit rabbit hole. But the majority of the information comes from two big sources: an article in Vanity Fair by Judy Bachrock, and an episode of the podcast Case File. It's episode one hundred and four called "Mark and John." Oh. So, let's let me take you across the pond to northern England. I can't wait. <laughs> My passport is expired. No, no, you got to keep that inspired. Mm-hmm. Inspired. <laughs> you, okay. Mhm. Mm-hmm. In Greater Manchester, there's an affluent suburb called Altrincham, which has some of the highest house prices outside of London. It offers everything you could want in a suburb. Fancy shops, nice houses, good schools. It was named the Sunday Times best place to live in the UK in 2020. It's not the sort of place you would expect something twisted to happen. But this is where our story starts. Twisted. Yeah, buckle up. On June 9th, 2003... First responders were called to a small alleyway in the Goose Green area of Altrincham. A 14-year-old boy named John had been stabbed twice, once in the chest and once in the abdomen, and he was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. The stab wound to his chest turned out to be light, but the stab wound to his abdomen was critical. Six inches deep, it had pierced his kidney and his liver. His heart stopped Uh. twice on the operating table, and doctors had to remove his gallbladder. He survived the surgery. You need both of those? Your gallbladder? Your kidney and your liver. And I guess your gallbladder. You need all that? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I know you need your heart. They fixed the kidney and the liver, but they had to take out the gallbladder. But he survived the surgery, but remained on a respirator for days in Withenshaw Hospital, treated with painkillers and antibiotics. His best friend, 16-year-old Mark, had been with him in the alley, and he'd been the one to call for the ambulance. He told police that he and John had been hanging out, and they'd stop by McDonald's to get a drink. And they went down this alleyway in Goose Green, just sipping on their Cokes, when some crazy man attacked John, stabbed him a couple times, and ran away. Mark described this knife-wielding madman as a man in his early 20s, wearing a black hooded jacket and black jeans. Police were so confused. They could not understand this happening in a place like Altrincham. Crazy, stabby madmen just didn't go there. So the police held a press conference warning the public about this stabber running around stabbing poor teenagers in attacks that appeared to be completely unprovoked. By some stroke of luck, there happened to be a CCTV camera pointing directly at the entrance to the alley. Police watched the two teenagers walk into the alley and watched as absolutely no one else followed them in. Oh. So police went to John, who, after giving them several different stories, finally broke down and told the truth. His attack- Wait, 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 wait. Before you get- oh, No, before you tell me- Uh-huh. 
So the police didn't see anyone in the alley go into the alley, but did they they couldn't see the stabbing from the viewpoint of the camera? No, they could just see the entrance of the alley. And they saw that it was just okay, them that went in. You're being shady. Continue. <laughs> it was just them that went in the alley. They were the only two people in the alley. Yeah. Uh-huh. Keep going. So. <laughs> so I'm starting to catch on to your <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so police went to John, who, after giving them several different stories, finally broke down and told the truth. His attacker had been his friend, Mark. And he had no what? idea why. He told police. and this He just a- shanked him? <laughs> he just- <laughs> his own friend? Yeah. So he told police. some chicken nuggets. And this is a quote. Mark did it once, stood up holding me, did it again. He was kneeling on me saying, trust me, holding the knife to my stomach. There was blood coming out. Mark said, I love you, bro, as he dragged John to his feet and stabbed him again with the knife. (laughs) John screamed to call an ambulance. He knew he was dying, but Mark just shushed him, telling him people would hear and he needed to be quiet. John screamed at him, you've killed me. And Mark begged him to not let that be the last thing he said to him. (gasps) John lay crumpled on the floor for 20 minutes before Mark pulled the knife out of John and called for an ambulance. Let me be clear. Mm -hmm. I would not cover for you if you stabbed me outside of a McDonald's. I would not be walking down a McDonald's back alley in the first place. I mean. But if I do find myself in such a situation with you, I will immediately rat you out. Duly noted. So just make sure I go all the way. No survivors. <laughs> oh, God. That's awful. It is. So there was a court order banning the media from identifying the boys and instructing every publication to use the names John and Mark because of the boys' ages. The newspapers weren't even able to correct the false stories they'd been spreading about the stabby madman on the loose. Yeah, that seems like people are probably freaking out. Yeah. I did stumble across their real names and pictures in really old newspaper articles I found in my research, but I'm choosing to go with the pseudonyms. Oh, I thought Mark and John was just their first name and you weren't giving the last name. Those are fake names. No, they're completely made up names. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Mark was put under arrest for attempted murder and it seemed like that would be the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the end. And that's the story. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it when they happen like this. <laughs> but this investigation would uncover that there was so much more to it. Mark was 16 years old. He was the only child of a middle-class family from Stockport, which was another affluent suburb of Manchester. His grades ranged from average to below average, but he hoped they'd be good enough for a local business college. He was described as tall, fair-haired, well-mannered, and popular with the ladies, even though he wasn't quite sure how to talk to them. Mm. When his mom got him a laptop to use for school, he quickly discovered the joys of an early aughts MSN chat room and realized he was much more at ease talking to people over the internet than in real life. What was your first AOL screen name? What was your first, like, AIM screen name? Angel chick but spelled c-h-i-c 2004 oh 
<laughs> so like Angel Chic. <laughs> yeah, it was Angel Chic, <laughs> but it was Angel Chick. Okay, okay well. Yeah. LP Foxy 05. Ooh, LP Foxy 05. Hey. So, in 2003, the internet was still a wee babe. This was before social media, as we know it today, when the way you socialize with strangers on the internet was to create or join a chat room based on your hobbies or interests. So, for our... Super- we like to call those the good old days. The good old days. ASL, question mark. <laughs> for our super baby listeners or those with more of a social life in middle school than me, users in these chat rooms could log in under a nickname. Current active users were listed in a box, and those in the chat were alerted whenever whenever people came in or left. And just saying that sentence reminds me, like, I can hear the chimes from yep. the AOL <laughs> Instant Messenger. And the door closing? Yes. God, our chat name, our chat room still thing. I kind of want to go and just chat it up. I think they're a little bit darker and more inappropriate now, but. I think they were pretty dark and inappropriate then, but we were 12, so. (laughs) (laughs) You could click on a person's name and even start a private chat with them if you so desired. Mm -hmm. Mark quickly found a chat room specifically for Manchester teens, and his online life would soon become like the world's greatest soap opera, only far more dramatic. Yeah, it's like called The Sims. Maybe. I don't know. I never played The Sims really. I couldn't get into it. It was kind of boring. What? It's like watching these people walk. Yeah, it was like I was never interested. Oh, well, I'm sorry our friendship had it in like this. (laughs) But my god siblings played it. Your god siblings also created recreated Fight Club. <laughs> so it's accurate, yeah. That's true. All right. One day around February of 2003. So just as a reminder, this stabbing took place in June. So in February of that year, a new person entered the Manchester Teens chat room. The name Rachel West appeared in the user box and Mark always on the prowl for any new girls that came into the chat, quickly scoped her out. The picture attached to her profile was of a really cute blonde teenager, and Mark just morphed into the heart eyes emoji. So obviously he private messaged her, and they struck up a chat. Obviously. Obviously. Mm -hmm. He found that talking to her was so easy. Pretty soon, their chats were getting more, shall we say, provocative. (laughs) Ew, please don't. (laughs) And by provocative, I mean Mark turned his webcam on. (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) He wanted Rachel to do the same, to turn her webcam on. But she said she'd had bad experiences before with her webcam, so she wouldn't turn it on. Yeah, Rachel West is all of us. (laughs) No kidding. A few days later, another new person entered the chat room. John. Rachel introduced John as her brother, and John corrected her, saying they were step-siblings. They were also from a middle-class family and both attended a private school. John had not had the happiest of childhoods. At four, John discovered that his father was not actually his biological father. That man had been incredibly abusive and had even kidnapped John when he was a baby. But his stepfather wasn't much better, a drug addict who left John when he was seven. He was bullied in elementary school, called gay, he says, because he was mostly friends with girls. And can we just all agree uh, that gay is not an insult? Thank you. Moving on. It's 2020. We're there. It's 2020. 
But he excelled academically, and he got into a prestigious grammar school. Then, when he was 12, his mother met a plumber and fell in love, and soon they were all living together. (laughs) John started spending a lot of time in the chats and quickly struck up a friendship with Mark, bonding over a shared interest like the movie Catch Me If You Can. Have you seen Catch Me If You Can with Leonardo DiCaprio? Don't ask questions you already know the answer to. I feel like now that you're here, we need to have like just a just a binge marathon for like the next two weeks. <laughs> and ruin the experience of you getting to ask me and me give you that satisfaction of you being just absolutely disgusted. Why ruin that? All right. Fair point. So John and Mark would start hanging out over their webcams, gaming or searching internet forums together. Meanwhile, Mark started falling hard for Rachel, and their interactions turned more sexual. Mark would turn his webcam on. These people are like five, right? They're like (laughs) five years old. Yeah, I know. They're 16. Yeah, 16. Mark would turn his webcam on and strip while she watched, and soon they were professing their love for each other. I'm so uncomfortable. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Wait. (laughs) Oh, Rachel, Mark, and John were spending almost all of their free time in these chat rooms. Mark wanted to meet up in real life, but Rachel's schedule was a lot harder to work around, so Mark and John ended up meeting up. The boys were very different. Mark had barely passable grades, and John was practically a genius. Mark was easygoing and popular, while John was sullen and withdrawn, and he got bullied at school. But they got along really well. But then, in April of 2003, a new person entered the chat room, Kevin McGregor. He made a grand entrance, writing only in pink-colored font, saying it was because he was openly gay. But unlike most other gay men, he was a real creeper who would go on and on about his foot fetish and announced he was a stalker. But not just any kind of stalker, a proper stalker. What? Like, he announced, like, hey, I'm Mogab. I'm a stalker. Like, that was, like, something he just, like... I'm Kevin McGregor, and I'm a proper stalker. (laughs) Great. I mean, you do you, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Most people in the chat room just dismissed Kevin the Creeper, but Mark soon discovered that Kevin had been threatening John and Rachel. John even thought Kevin was following him home from school. Mark shrugged all this off until Kevin started focusing his attention on him, giving Mark personal details of his life that he could only know if he really had been stalking him. Hmm. Mark was now really scared of Kevin, who began to threaten Mark with John and Rachel's lives if he didn't do what Kevin said. I need a damn web chart. I know, you will. Which one? John is the one that, okay. John has the crush on Rachel. No, Mark has the crush Mark, on Rachel. No, John, Mark has a crush on Rachel. John is the stepbrother. Yes. Which one stabbed which one in the McDonald's? Mark stabbed John. Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. Okay. Yeah, I know. Isn't it interesting? So Kevin began to threaten Mark with John and Rachel's lives if he didn't do what Kevin said. So to make sure that John and Rachel were safe from Kevin... Mark would have to perform sexual tasks in his webcam so that Kevin would be kept um, satisfied enough to stay away. Oh, this is skeeving me out. Yeah, I know. Chat rooms are terrible places. Yes, PSA. (laughs) Yeah, like, 
I take back what I said earlier. Like, I thought I was just going to go in and make some friends and talk about, like, 90 Day Fiance and reality <laughs> TV. Uh, I want no part in this. If only the internet was a more innocent place. <laughs> so Mark went to Rachel to tell her what was going on. And she said he, she said he didn't have to do anything for her. But Mark was convinced that Kevin was a real world threat. And he had to save her from danger. So he did what Kevin asked him to do. There was an upside, though. This strengthened Mark and Rachel's relationship, and they decided it was time to meet in person. Oh, they haven't even done that yet? No, no, because her schedule is so crazy. So they made plans to meet in Aldringham, which was a 40-minute bus ride from where he lived. But when he got to their meeting spot, Rachel never showed. Mark waited hours before finally heading back home, hoping there'd be a message from her explaining. But he had no message from Rachel, only a message from Kevin the Creeper, saying that he'd gone through with his plan to kidnap Rachel and that she'd been gang-raped and murdered. (gasps) Kevin even detailed her last moments, saying he kicked her stomach, put her head under freezing cold water, and she stained his sheets when she was bleeding. He told Mark, you weren't there for her, however much she screamed for you. And Mark said, how could I have been there when I didn't even know where she was? Wait, this is not real. (laughs) I'd be pissed if you made all this up. I didn't make any of this up. Mark didn't know who to turn to for help. He didn't feel like he could go to the police or his parents, and he internalized the whole thing. He sank into a deep depression, mourning the murder of Rachel privately. He was utterly devastated by Rachel's death and traumatized by the whole thing. His grades dropped until he was failing for the year. So is Rachel really dead? Um, spoiler, Mogab. I can't answer oh, that. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. That'd be a no. <laughs> the one place he found solace was with John, who was also mourning the sudden death of his stepsister. The friends started hanging out over their webcams again, and John became concerned about Mark. One night, he cracked a joke that made Mark smile, and he asked him what he was so happy about, and Mark said, because I've got you as a mate. And I thought that was really sweet, so I put it in. Mark started going back to the chat room, once again, looking for girls, and he soon moved past poor Rachel West when in walked a new girl in the chat room. Lindsay East, who was also 16. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I let you tell me that. One thing before you get into the West East debacle real quick. Um, you know how I always like to tell you, this is my little segment of the podcast where I like to tell you who I'm picturing. Oh, yes, please. You know, please like, do. Can you tell me? Please do, because I actually don't have pictures of any of these people because they all are under pseudonyms. Oh, So we won't actually have any pictures to share. So please let the people know who you're picturing. Okay. Please go ahead and post photos of Harry Potter and Ron Weasley because that (laughs) is who I am picturing. I love it. Which one's Harry and which one's Ron? (laughs) Ron is obviously John because they rhyme. Okay. Get it together. Come on. Okay. And Harry's the real. Okay. Like you've done this before. Excellent. Got it. Got it. So (laughs) Lindsay and Mark. So East and West, we're just going to let... <laughs> like, that's her name. I don't know what to tell you. That's her name. Okay. Coincidence? Okay. I don't know. Okay. 
So they quickly struck up a little romance. And before Mark could say, Rachel, who? Lindsay told him she loved him. And Mark loved her, too. And. God. Thinking about all the boys I said I love you to on AIM. Uh, R.I.P. to those days. Looking at you. I, I was about to shout out their screen names, but I'll save myself. Their screen names from 20 years ago? You think they still use them? No, but I, some of them are not as oh. incognito as L.P. Foxy. <laughs> gotcha. All right, L.P. Foxy. 05. 05. Put some respect on it. All right. So Mark loved her, too. And started turning that webcam on again to perform sex acts for her. (sighs) Lindsay trusted Mark wholeheartedly. And she finally felt like she trusted him enough to divulge a highly classified secret. She was actually a junior secret service agent for the British Intelligence Service, MI6. Mark was a huge James Bond fan, and so he was incredibly interested. Lindsay told- Wait, how old was she? 16. She's a junior agent. So junior? Yeah. Oh, cute. Lindsay told him that the real reason she had joined the chat room was to keep an eye on his best friend, John, who, unbeknownst to John, was being targeted by Kevin, the psychopath that had murdered his stepsister, Rachel. Lindsay was hoping that Mark could help her track down Kevin the Creeper and told him how important it was that John never find out his life was threatened. Wait. Help me, I'm poor. Okay. (laughs) All right. Who's threatening who? Give me a quick. Okay, Kevin the Creeper, Uh who murdered Rachel, Mm -hmm. is now threatening John. Okay. And so Lindsay, Lindsay, the junior Secret Service agent, is tasked with protecting John from Kevin and wants Mark to help her find him. Got it. Caught up now? (laughs) Yes. But then, days after they met, Mark received an email from Lindsay that had been arranged to be sent automatically if she was killed in action. The email said that if he was reading this, she had failed in her mission and begged Mark to protect John. (laughs) I'm sorry. I really hope that's not true because I just laugh like it's the biggest crock of nonsense I've ever heard. This is a totally true story, Mogab. Okay, great. I can't wait to be vindicated in here in a minute. Keep going. And then things got even crazier. Impossible. Rachel West popped back up in the chat room. Mark couldn't believe it. He was overjoyed to find that Rachel was alive. Oh, so he thinks he's just going to haul her back? Right. She's alive now. But as they talked, he became more and more confused. Red flags galore in her story of what happened to her. Flags so red, even Mark could spot them. Well, and so what about the stepbrother? He just didn't know his sister wasn't killed? No, because Rachel had been held captive while in a coma. And while in that coma, she'd given birth to Mark's baby. <laughs> God. <laughs> this this is the episode we decide not to drink on. <laughs> this one. I did not decide not to drink on this one. You did. Well, it's probably a good thing. Right? I'd be in a lot worse shape trying to keep up. <laughs> so 
They'd only met in the chat a few weeks before, and Mark might have been a bit on the dim side, but even he knew a baby took nine months to cook, and that the odds of impregnating a girlfriend <laughs> you'd never met in real life were slim to none. Wait, yeah, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wait. She said that she was pregnant with his baby. She'd given birth. And they hadn't met. Yeah, she'd given birth to his baby. She'd given birth. While she was in the coma. They'd never met. They'd never met. Um, Sis, that's not how that works. No. It reminds me of the first season of Glee, like when Quinn convinced Finn that he got her pregnant mm-hmm. in the hot sun. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Oh, my God. I've seen that. I was like, there's a reference she'll get. <laughs> Oh. Okay, but before Mark could get any answers, she vanished again from the chat. Never to be seen. There are no answers. (laughs) (laughs) Never to be seen or heard from again. Soon after, 42-year-old Janet Dobinson joined the chat room. Okay, well, that's a mom name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Typing in all caps and making it clear she didn't have time for idle adolescent chit-chat. She was looking for someone special, Mark. She private chatted Mark. She asked for him by name? Well, she private chatted him, and she told him that she was also a member of MI6, though in a much higher position than junior agent Lindsay East. Janet was actually number three from the top and told Mark that even though she was in her 40s and married, she was still sexy. She still got it. I mean... You know, if you know, you know. I mean, I don't know why she felt the need to tell a 16-year-old boy that, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, never mind. Cut that out for me. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. I'm having a really hard time of keeping track with people's ages and pregnancies. and. Well, they're all 16, except for John, who's 14. John. Kevin, who's an adult creeper, and Janet, who is 42. I don't like any of these characters. Mark was skeptical given Rachel's weird story, but he was curious, so he went along with it. Janet told him that the Secret Service had actually had their eye on Mark and were thinking of recruiting him. He'd get paid millions and rub elbows with royalty. Janet said they'd take him to London for his MI6 briefing and get his agent number, his license to kill, and meet Queen Elizabeth. See, this is why I couldn't be in the chat rooms, because you know the Secret Service was my dream job. And at 16, mm-hmm. someone would have been like, yeah. Hey. And the more they spoke, the more Mark was convinced that Janet was telling the truth. Before his training, though, Mark would have to go through an initiation of sorts, a test of his loyalty. The test he would have to act as a secret personal bodyguard for an important teenager named James Bell, who was also an MI6 operative. It was super important that James not know Mark was acting as his bodyguard. Mark asked what was so important about James, and Janet told him there was a huge safe full of jewels worth 568 billion pounds that lay at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, and only the Queen had the combination to it. I am dying. <laughs> like, I I am physically ill. <laughs> yeah. At this foolishness and nonsense. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. 
But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Since the queen couldn't actually get to the bottom of the ocean to open it, she'd given the combination to one other person, James Bell, who was the only person in the world who could walk through the door of the safe. Janet said there was loads more to James's importance that she'd get to later. Mark was shocked mm. to learn the identity of James Bell. And that he had like the heart of the ocean because now I'm picturing that from Titanic. 100%. That she, when she dropped it into the ocean, it just fell straight into the safe. For James Bell. Right. Mark was shocked to learn the identity of James Bell. It was his best friend, John. It would be so easy for Mark to keep an eye on John. It would look just like he was hanging out with his friend. <laughs> <laughs> he was really eager to get started on his mission and he sent a private chat to john asking if he wanted to get together john having no idea about mark's true motives excitedly agreed and the two started spending all their free time together oh good their mothers both became really worried about this new friendship and insisted on meeting each other once they did, they were so relieved to find out that each of them came from a normal family, and they really encouraged the friendship. Mark, meanwhile, reported back all of his actions to Janet, who told him he was doing a really good job, but also informed him that he was being monitored by agents in the field. To prove it, she detailed where he'd gone with John. She then gave him his next test. He had to get John out of school without raising suspicion. This feels all very Pretty Little Liars in A. Like, that is like, do you know what I mean? For like, sure. Like, all the surveillance. Yeah. Is that what this, is that what that show is based on? This? <laughs> That's what I feel like. <laughs> Maybe. It's about as wild. So, Mark was able to convince the school administration that he'd been sent by John's mother to take him to a dentist appointment. And John was stoked to get out of school. So, he and Mark went shopping and hung out the rest of the day. John's mother got the call that John had left school early, and she checked his laptop to see if she could figure out where he was. She found chats from Janet Dobinson and was immediately concerned. She headed to Mark's house, where she found John and told Mark's parents, who found similar messages from Janet, where she claimed to have control over the queen, and asked to watch Mark on his webcam while she told him all about the UK's biggest secrets. 
their parents told them that not everyone is who they say they are on the internet and banned them from having any more contact with Janet Dobinson. Neither Mark nor John heeded this demand. John's mother even took the modem out of his laptop and took both pieces into her bedroom, but John would sneak in and get it at night, put it back together, and back online he was. And once again, Mark was under Janet Dobinson's command. She had one last mission for him and told him it was of the utmost importance. She couldn't tell him why it was so important, but she could lose her job and even her life if Mark did not complete it. Oh, no. I know. His mission was to make John look gay by performing a sex act on him, (gasps) reminding him that he was being watched at all times to decide if he was really ready to join MI6. God, people are so screwed up in the head. Like, people are so sick. I know. Yeah, it's bad. It's really... (laughs) Okay. So Mark went to a sleepover at John's and completed his mission, and Janet was delighted. All was well. She wouldn't be losing her job or her life. With his mission now complete, Mark had passed his initiation into MI6 and would get his license to kill. He'd get to meet the prime minister and get $500,000 in cash. Ooh. But then things took a really dark turn. Oh, they hadn't already? (laughs) Not yet. Janet told him now that he was initiated, could he really kill someone? And Mark asked, isn't it murder when you kill someone? And Janet assured him, not in your case. Mark then said, yeah, I could. There's your answer. So Janet handed him his first assignment as a secret service agent, an assassination. The target was James Bell, a.k.a. John, Mark's best friend. Why? Don't they need him for the safe? The made-up jewels? Yeah, they do. So it was it's not real clear. Maybe he okay. turned on them <laughs> and suddenly he couldn't have that information anymore. Got it. Okay, tight. He asked her, you want me to kill him? That's what you're asking me? Janet said yes. Mark said And just leave him to die? What should I say to him? Stand there a minute while I stab you? (laughs) Then Janet detailed exactly what kind of knife Mark should buy, wanting to make sure he didn't come to John with a pocket knife or something. She told him it has to be big to stab him and make him bleed to death. She even told him where to buy the knife, a drugstore chain called Boots. (laughs) Janet said he should tell him he loves him while he is stabbing him. And she said Mark should call an ambulance, but not straight away. He should wait a little while. Let him bleed out before he does it? Yeah. In exchange for Mark helping the British Secret Service, they would give him 80 million pounds, sexual favors, and a career in the intelligence service. Once Mark terminated his friend, he'd have a meeting with Prime Minister Tony Blair, who would be super grateful. Oh, super. Super grateful. Janet told Mark that John had a slow-growing but terminal brain tumor, and the British Secret Service needed John dead soon. After being told by Janet about John's brain tumor, John came on and confirmed the tumor, saying he'd just gotten a letter that day from his doctor, and that he's got a brain thingy tumor, is how John put it. Mark was relieved, knowing he could think of the assassination as a mercy killing. 
Janet told Mark he'd see her at the police station, where she would be under an assumed identity as a detective superintendent. And so Mark did it. He lured John to that alleyway in Aldringham because some stranger on the internet told him he needed to do it for his country. He stabbed- At 16. At 16. He stabbed John twice, but luckily John survived the attack. Yeah, luckily. It didn't take long for police to find the transcripts from these chats on Mark's laptop. 58,000 lines of text were scrutinized by police and lawyers, which was just a fraction of the total. A police analyst said that there was about 133 gigabytes of data, and if you put it in a paper pile, it would be like 46,000 feet high. Oh, my God. So he went into – when he called the ambulance, I mean, he thinks obviously he can tell the police because homegirl's going to be there. Right. So he, like, admits it. Yeah. Okay. And so then they get all this info. Yeah. Police don't know what to make of these chat room records. Should they be looking for a pedophile ring, murderers, school bullies? They had color-coded charts to keep all the storylines straight, much like you need. Well, that must be nice. (laughs) I didn't get a copy of that. (laughs) They even arrested a shop assistant who had the same name as one of the characters. But, of course, she was innocent. Mark was no help at all. At Mark's second interview, he finally confessed to the stabbing, but he said he'd done it because he heard voices. And the police thanked him and sent him back to a juvenile detention center. But what Mark never did was demand to see Janet Dobinson. He never mentioned the treasure, the brain thingy tumor, that he'd only stabbed John on orders from the British Secret Service, or that he was expecting his thank you from Tony Blair. Yeah. Like, hello, that would have been my first. No kidding. Like, no, guys, it's okay. Uh, call Tony Blair. He'll vouch Like, have you heard of this bitch, Janet? <laughs> She's number three. Like, where's Janet? Right. <laughs> the police worked on the case for three months, utterly baffled. The police analysts spent months sorting through stacks of transcripts of the chat and finally noticed something. She noticed the same word repeated over and over. The word was MyBy, spelled M-Y-B-Y-E, and it was used by John, Kevin the Creeper, Janet Dobinson, and Lindsay East, Jr. Spy. At first, she wrote it off as like a typo, but seeing it over and over, she started to think it was a choice, deliberately spelling the word maybe that way. So how weird that all four of them would use that same spelling, and how weird that two of them were British spies. Yeah. Police knew that Janet was the key to the whole thing. Figuring out who Janet was was priority numero uno. And that's when they saw it. In October 2003, police saw that someone by the name of Dobinson had logged on to John's laptop with a password at a time when only John was home. And that's when they realized there was no Janet Dobinson. No. There was no Kevin Creeper. No. No. No Lindsay East. Stop talking. Nope. No Rachel West. No. No one. No one except John. What? John was all of them. John had arranged his own murder. He was arrested in October 2003 under the charge incitement to murder. The first person ever to be charged with inciting their own murder. Wait. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So he, like, took out a hit on himself. He took a hit out on himself. Wow. Yeah. 
It's like, I'm not going to take my own life, but I'm going to convince someone to do it. Right. Right. Hmm. But honestly, like, if you can convince your friends with, like, a underwater treasure chest guarded by the queen that Tony Blair is going to, like, congratulate you on, you know? Yeah. Uh, his lawyer did describe him as blunderingly stupid, so... <laughs> There's that. Oh, God. So what happened here? Yeah. We've been looking at this story from Mark's point of view. So let's flip it. And let's look at it from John's. And like, are all these... Sorry, Mm -hmm. but now that I'm processing, like, did we need all these extra characters? Like, why do we need Rachel and Lindsay? That was just some of them. Oh, I'll get into why he needed both. Yeah, for sure. He needed Lindsay because he killed off Rachel. Right. But, like, couldn't we just stuck with one? No. Because – I'll tell you why. Okay. Tell me. So I mentioned a bit about John's home life not being great. He was kidnapped as a baby by his own father. He had this drug addict stepfather that left when he was seven. And he didn't get along with his mother's plumber boyfriend that was living with them. Yeah. That's all very sad. He was bullied at school over his perceived sexuality. And it seems like he carried a lot of shame with that. He had rituals to deal with his grief and shame. He would wash his body in a precise, specific order, the same order every time, making sure no part was cleaned more than once. Getting dressed was equally ritualistic. If he deviated from the ritual, his anxiety was so overwhelming, he'd have to start over. I need a shower ritual because I'm wasting so much time in there. (laughs) So John finds a world on the internet where he can be whoever he wants to be. And he sets his sights on Mark, someone he considered to be out of his league. Mm. John soon discovered how gullible Mark was, how readily he would believe any far-fetched story John gave him. And John was very gifted at making up stories. A prosecutor describes them as an internet soap opera, moving from one scene to another, each character and storyline more fantastic than the last. John said telling these stories to Mark was like feeding a dog. John both loved Mark and despised him. His stories were filled with betrayal, deception, and evil. He would write them all night, from four in the afternoon until seven in the morning. See, this is like playing The Sims. This is why people were obsessed with it, is because you're rewriting. Like, your life is boring. Will you go make up this other life? Hmm. There you go. This is just like a lot darker and creepier way of doing that yeah do you interact with other people in the sims or is it just like your own thing not like back when we i'm sure now if it's still around you know it's like one where you could like think it is still around but when back in yeah 2000s it was not like that right oh yeah because it was just like on a cd-rom right it was like a cd-rom game Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think i literally have one in my i'm sitting in my i'm recording this from my childhood like desk that i'm sitting at and i'm pretty sure i have one up here (laughs) Along with a lot of um, love notebooks. Oh my God, stop it. Ghost of Boyfriend's Past. Oh, look at this. (laughs) Back on track. We were talking about The Sims. Mm. Sorry. Yes. So he would write these stories all night from four in the afternoon until seven in the morning. And in March, he stopped eating. He just wanted to be on the internet. He was never tired. He said he had a buzz, like satisfying a craving. You had to be on there. You had to be doing it. So he was like going to school and then any free time he was on, in these chat rooms doing. Yeah, four to seven. Four to seven. He Yeah, he's seven to four. He's at school. Four to seven. He's on the internet. 
in these chat rooms, making all this shit up. God. John's lawyer, Jonathan Goldberg, seemed to be the only person who saw John as someone to admire. He used words like extraordinarily persuasive, brilliant, and inventive to describe him. And he compared his story to Romeo and Juliet. Oh. John was described as a very gentle, slightly withdrawn personality who wanted to be a barrister himself, which is British for lawyer. Oh, I thought you had mispronounced barista. (laughs) (laughs) No, he would not be a good barista. He's a terrible people person. (laughs) The prosecution, on the other hand, used words like matrix of deceit to describe John, trapping his friend in his web of deception. He was called devious. I would agree with that. Mark's lawyers described him as being blunderingly stupid, like I said before, Mm. and said John had brainwashed him. John wanted Mark's attention, and he thought the best way to do that was with Rachel West. Unfortunately, he didn't see Mark falling so hard for Rachel and constantly insisting they meet up because, as one probation officer noted in his report, this could not happen due to her not existing. (laughs) For her being fake. They obviously didn't go to the same school, right? Because they lived further apart. No, they didn't go to the same school. He was in some like prestigious grammar school. and Well, it's fine. As you know, I'm picturing Hogwarts, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) They're British. So John had to do something about it. Enter Creeper Kevin, who murdered Rachel. Mm -hmm. But then when he felt guilty about it, He brought her back and told that story about the coma. And apparently he doesn't know anything about babies either. I mean, that is the part of this whole story I cannot get over is like the baby part. Right. Like that right there should have been the like telltale sign that this was all made up nonsense. I know. Because you got someone pregnant that you've never met before. Right. And this all (laughs) sounds so far-fetched and wild. But John was very convincing with his characters. Each one had a distinct personality, a distinct writing style, and a background that was kept up meticulously, like he could really live in the heads of all these characters at once, and he never made a mistake. So what was up with the maybe with no A? Was his A broken on the keyboard? (laughs) Because in college, my backspace key broke, and it was a pain trying to write any type of paper. Like, I was dying. Trying to do any homework assignment with no backspace key. Yeah, I don't know what was up with that. I don't know why that was like the one (laughs) thing that he didn't keep separate. It seems like a weird thing to do, but yeah. But John was isolated. He was living in a world that only he and Mark inhabited. He had created a situation in which the only person in the world he really had was Mark, and it was all built on a lie. John knew that Mark would not be friends with him anymore if he found out the truth. Mm. And John loved Mark. Like, loved. Yeah. I mean, in the way that he could, I guess. Like, it almost seems like an obsession, you know? Like, he's having him come over to these sleepovers. He's, like, got him on the webcam every night. John's characters had Mark convinced that his regular, everyday suburban life wasn't what it appeared to be. The postman, the ice cream man, the teachers, the drivers, they were all revealed to be secret agents, checking in to see if Mark was smart enough to be one of them. He was told that he could be a millionaire by next year. And his characters shared his mission to keep Mark perpetually in contact with their creator, John. 
It gave John what he wanted from his friend, a feeling of emotional intimacy he'd never experienced before. And it's like, you can be a little less creepy because it's not like Mark thinks he's always talking to John. Like, he's always talking to John, but it's through these other ideas. Right, right, exactly. Mark and John began to meet in person. John saw him in real life, in a world that John didn't belong to, a world full of girls that liked Mark and people that didn't just live in John's head. And it was around this time that John decided that he wanted his life to end, which is how he described it to his therapist. He said that if he were dead, nothing more could happen to him. John's teacher noticed that instead of talking with his school friends, John would read books about mental illness. She became concerned, as did John's mother, thus the ban on the laptop. But like I said earlier, John had figured out a way around that by sneaking into his mom's room to get the laptop and put it back together. John later said that he couldn't carry on with the fantasy, but he was in too deep. He couldn't undo it at this point. He was trapped in this virtual world with no way out, except to risk losing his friend. Does the therapist know about all the other stuff or does she just know? Yeah, he's in therapy after all of this. Like, not, like oh, after, yeah. After the fact. Okay. So I guess I was about to say, is he in jail? But yeah, we'll find out where he they are. Be. So John decided he wanted to die. He did give himself an out. He told Mark that there was an abort code 6969 because he's a 14 year old boy. Mm-hmm. But he never used the code. When John was brought to the hospital after the stabbing, he asked to see a psychiatrist. But in Britain, they have the National Health Service. So he was put on a four-month waiting list. So I looked up a little bit more on Britain's National Health Service, specifically how they deal with mental health. And it said that some patients have to wait excessively long for mental health care. The Royal College of Psychiatrists found some must wait up to 13 months for the right care. Even patients who are suicidal mm-hmm. or who have attempted suicide are sometimes denied treatment. Oh, my goodness. I know. Patients are told that they're not ill enough or waiting lists are too long. During very long waits for treatment, one in three patients deteriorate, and they may become unemployed or get divorced. One in four patients throughout the UK wait over three months to see an NHS mental health professional with 6% waiting at least a year. To see us like, get divorced. I mean, they might take their own life. Yeah. Mark was in the courtroom as John's entire scheme was outlined. And it was here that he discovered what John had done. He discovered that Rachel West, a girl he had loved and whose death he had mourned, was John. And who he impregnated? Yeah. Oh, wait. He discovered that her murderer, Kevin, who recounted every bloody detail to him, had also been John. Janet Dobinson, who had watched him over the webcam and promised him a wonderful life and convinced him to murder John, was also, actually, John. He said, I've been a fool. How old are they in the courtroom? One year, 17 and 15, one year older. Yeah. Oh, okay. It wasn't that long after. Their court system moves faster than the waiting list, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, and I think their, like, medical care moves faster than that as well. That, that was just their mental health. I don't know about their medical care. Yeah. Both boys pleaded guilty and received probation on certain conditions. No unsupervised use of the internet and no further contact between the two of them. The prosecutor said, <laughs> of the two teenagers, John was the more wicked and criminally culpable. 
Sure, but I don't know who to feel sorry for, really. Like, I mean, I feel sorry for Mark because he was basically target. I mean, John went out and then Mark is, I I feel bad for him, but he's gullible and an idiot. But had he not been in that chat room, his life would be normal. But also, like, you know, he didn't, I, I do believe that that was the reason that he stabbed him. I believe that he did think that he was going to be an MI6 secret agent. But he never asked for Janet Dobinson. He never tried to get out of it by saying, like, no, I did it because of the Secret Service. I did it because of this. So does that maybe mean that on some level he knew it was all a lie? I don't know. I I don't think maybe he knew it was all a lie, but maybe he wasn't disappointed in the outcome. Yeah. And like I say in every episode – where were the adults? I mean, sure, they confiscated the laptop, but then what? Well, yeah, and I think this is why. This is also 2003, and I'm, the adults at the time had no idea what the internet really was. And they didn't know about, like, I feel like now parents grew up with the internet mm-hmm. and know a little bit more about know. what precautions to take and what to warn their kids about and like what to watch for. And they're more supervised. Like me and my friends, we get on these chat rooms and we would just be like yeah. all the time. Our parents had no idea who we were talking to. Yeah, I just remember Louise always yelling at me, get off the internet. I need to use the phone. See, and I would only do and then this. I thought I was. Yeah, I would only do this at my friend's houses that had second lines. I was going to say, I really thought I was something when then the AOL, like the internet line became my second phone. Ooh. Like we had a second phone line. It became mine. I think I still know that phone Ooh. number. And I got that purple VTech mm. phone that was kind of see Yes. And so I had like jealous. my eight friends on speed dial. I did not get my own line. And I'm, I just remembered that I'm still bitter about it. John's mother later informed the court that she had seen a total transformation in John. She also said that he had a girlfriend. So... Oh, that's how you know that you've. Yeah. He says he misses Mark, even though he knows the friendship was fake. Uh. And he struggles to figure out where he belongs. He says he doesn't think he ever will get married or have children because he can't imagine being stuck with the same person his whole life. And like. But that's what he was trying to do with Mark. Same. Yeah. Well, and I think that Wait, just shows. Wait, they're our age. that. They're like a, oh. like a year older than me, right? Yeah. Because 2003, they were 16, so they're like our age. Yeah, how old was I in Better be watching who you're rubbing elbows with at Cabo. You got to be careful who you make friends with. That makes me think. I'm a year older than them. Yeah. Yep. Um, keep your head on a swivel. Well, they're British, so they're in England. But yeah. I know their real names, though. So, well, I at least know John's. Oh, oh this part's awesome. John likes to go back to the scene of the crime because he's hoping that someone will recognize him as the boy who was stabbed, like he's trying to get some sort of celebrity status from it. But all he gets is the annoyance from the local police. Yeah. And that is the story of the Goose Green stabbings and one of the most elaborate online scams I've ever heard of. Why is it called that? I never heard the words Goose Green come up again. Is that like an area? Yeah. They were in Goose Green when it happened. Oh. It's an area of Altrincham. No murder this week. You're welcome. Okay. Please don't. What can I say except you're welcome? (laughs) (laughs) What is that from? Moana. 
I know that you think I would see that because it's like a little Hawaiian Disney movie, but I've also not seen that. Man, I have so many questions about this. Uh-huh. I mean, it does make me think about going back to like when I would sit in chat rooms. Like, I don't know. It's just – or not even – okay, not even that, but – and I get I'm, like, older at this point. But I moved away to a, a state, like, far away from home. I didn't know anybody. And you just – and I'm thinking of this one and the Anna Delvey because that one's, like, someone you make friends yeah. with in person. You know? And they just, like, screw you. And I've never thought about that when I'm making friends with someone. Now, I've obviously gotten to know someone. I'm like, oh, you're not really my type. Like, you're kind of annoying or I don't want to hang out with you. But I've never been, like – uh, you might stab me in the back of a McDonald's or you might drain my bank account. Like, I'm never thinking about those things, right. you know? I think, yeah, I think because we, and I don't want to say like, I, I think probably just because we've been lucky and we haven't had people like that that have crossed our paths. I think now when you read about enough of these stories, you can spot red flags a little easier. And I think that's why these stories are the part of the reason why these stories are important to tell is because it can help you avoid a similar situation. Right. Well, the second someone's like, I got you pregnant and I've never met them, I probably would have been like, oh. Right. I mean, I think it would have been a lot earlier for me that I would have been like, I'm never getting – these people are insane. I'm never getting on this chat room. Like once my girlfriend is yeah. murdered and gang raped by some creeper stalker on the internet, Who's telling I'm you never it? getting on that chat room again. Like I'm never logging in again. I will tell you that. Right. So no one – I mean probation, that just seems so – I mean, now they're just out. Like, what are they doing now? Is like one of them working at like Subway as a sandwich well, artist, know, and the we other don't even one's know who like, they are, you know. So, yeah. Um, but I don't, which is great because that will prevent me from going down rabbit <laughs> holes tonight. I do not need to do it. Um, but they're they weren't allowed any unsupervised access to the internet, and I. But I don't think that I think John. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think John needs mental help. I don't think he needs jail, and I don't think Mark needs jail at all. I think he just needs a wake-up call. Like, people are lying on the internet, bro. Like, what are you doing? But I I don't think not having – here's the thing. You can't, like, ban them from the internet now because that is the way of, like, our present and future. You like, can. You have you to. You can ban people. People get banned from the internet all the time. Hackers. I know, but, like, we need people <laughs> – yeah, hackers. But I need people like this to understand, like, how to exist appropriately right. within a world that has the internet. Like, now he's going to go back to these chat rooms because he's been off of them right. or whatever, you know. And I don't know how long that was. It was probably, like, while they were minors, you know. I mean, I don't think you yeah. can, like – I don't know. Yeah. I wonder what, like, media attention this got while they were, like, in school. None, because there was a media ban and they could only use these pseudonyms. Nobody knew who they really yeah. were. And so literally the people in Altrincham, like still when that article was written, I'm not sure when the Vanity Fair article was written, they still thought there was some stabby, murderous, s- stabby man running around stabbing <laughs> people because of that press conference. They never corrected it and said it was this two teenage boys. Yeah. You know what the people do want to know? What? I was going to just say, like, we're reunited. How do we even know each other? But honestly, yeah. this might be a good episode because talking about friends, yeah, we avoided all of this shenanigans because we just paid for our friends. That 
is accurate. Like, yes, that's accurate. We have had a lot of people ask us, like, how we know each other. I guess it's about like, that time. Episode, what is this? Episode 13. It's probably about that time. So uh, do you want to do, do the honors? I mean, how do we know each other? We're pledged sisters in, the, in our sorority. S- sorority and sisters. Sorority sisters. We joined at the same time. And we actually were pretty opposite in our chapter. Like, yeah. you were more social. I was going home every weekend. To the waffle. To the waffle. Yeah, I was kind of like – You would go home to work at the waffle house. Yeah. Yeah, I would go home. Oh, yeah, that's the waffle house background. That's what you need to know about us. <laughs> yeah. um, me and Kristen are friends. I worked at the waffle house. My mom is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. And we were sorority yeah. sisters. We were sorority sisters. And we didn't live in the house together, but we both – like you lived in the house first. Uh-huh. And I would like come over all the time and mm-hmm. we would hang out and then – I lived in the house after you, but had you already graduated? Yeah. A year. Yeah. We're in this. I wasn't we there joined. when you were president. I wasn't there. Yeah. So we are in the same pledge class, but you're a year ahead of me. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I, I joined when I was a sophomore. But how we got really close actually was after we joined and like became friends, we realized we were from the same like. We're from Houston, but like our actual like hometowns are like yeah, like really everybody close is from Houston. I know we say yeah, we say and Houston. I'm like oh you're from Houston. Oh my God, oh you live two hours away from me. Okay, but <laughs> yeah. you actually live like 15 minutes away from me. Like you're from Which so close. Deal. Yeah, which was great when we would need to go home for the holidays. We had we both had cars on campus. Uh huh. One more reliable than the other. That's Spent accurate. A lot of nights yeah. or mornings jumping Kristen's car, <laughs> and so we would ride home together. Remember? Yes. And that's really when we got close. That was 15 years ago. Stop it. 15 years ago. I did not remember. I'm glad you said that because I did not remember how we became – because I remembered I had like this one group of friends and then I had you and I loved you. I thought you were the coolest. I thought you were the funniest. I loved being around you. I hated that you went home every weekend because I wanted you to come out with us every weekend. But I didn't remember like how that – started so that makes sense that we like bonded mm-hmm. over our hometown yeah i wasn't cool enough to be going out every weekend you that, like could have been was scary for me i know but Please. i i think it worked out the way it was like i was cool <laughs> yeah like you were cool and popular and i was a loser <laughs> hustling at the waffle house god i wish that were true working at the waffle house kissing hometown boys remember i was going home all the time i wasn't going to the frat parties because i had a home at home no this is what i remember i remember one uh, one boyfriend, you were a serial dater or se- you like not a serial dater, like a serial like relationshiper. And yeah. I remember one boyfriend who shall remain nameless gave you a balloon and we had plans to go to the movies. So we went to the movies, just me and you with this balloon that he had given you. He showed up. Is this what I'm thinking? No, he, he showed up show- to the Chick-fil-A like at the student center. Chick-fil-A. You got the balloon at the student center, and then we went to the movies, and you like brought the balloon in with you. To the I don't know who this is. It was. I'll cut it, but it was. No. Yes. I forgot about. Yes. Him. <laughs> I did not date him. Um, you did. It didn't for a short no, time. No, I did not for a short time. I did not. He date brought him. you a I did balloon, Mogab. I don't think he brought me a balloon. I don't think that's who that he was. He one hundred percent brought you a balloon. Yes, it was. He brought you a balloon and we brought it to the movies. He brought one balloon. One single balloon. I had another balloon delivery that was a dozen balloons at the house, but you Oh, I was not there. Yeah. No, this was not a dozen balloons. This was one single balloon that we brought to the movies with us. (laughs) 
And it was the dollar movie, wasn't it? It was the dollar movie. Yeah, it was the dollar theater. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you guys think about this episode and if you caught on before Mogab did. Hey! (laughs) So email us at creeperspod at gmail.com with any feedback you have, what you thought about the episode. You can find us at creeperspod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And thank you so much to those of you that have left a review on Apple Podcasts. We love them. We so appreciate it. Also, tell a friend, you know, tell, tell, tell two friends if you liked it. Just don't do it in an internet chat room. No, definitely. That's the place to do it. Don't listen to MoGab. Tell, (laughs) tell them all in the internet chat rooms that about this. Just don't listen when they then recruit you for a British spy or an MLM. Just say no. That's right. If they say they have an amazing work from home opportunity or an amazing spy opportunity, both of those things don't exist. Okay. (laughs) And be sure to subscribe so you will have our next episode. Oh, we got to tell the people that we're not, that we're skipping a week. Oh, and it's Christmas, so we probably should say Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm obviously going to cut that. You're obviously not. (laughs) You're not. You're not. Look, people don't care about Christmas. What the people want to know is, we done with 2020, peeps and creeps. (laughs) Next episode, coming in hot in the new year, where everything is going to be better. Yes. Okay? We are taking a brief, 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 a brief break. A A brief break? We're taking New Year's off, people. All right, so we will not have a new episode for you next week, but do not fear. We will be back with our next episode on January 7th. So make sure that you subscribe so you will know exactly when our next episode drops, when I will tell Mogab all about the true story of the Collar Bomb heist. Ooh. Ooh. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be good. I like heists. Yeah, and this one is... Heisty. Heisty. Feisty. Feisty, heisty. That'd be my new aim screen name. Heisty. All right. You want to buy peeps and creeps it? Mm-hmm. Bye, peeps and creeps. Excellent. Stay out of chat rooms. <laughs>